Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. Marriage isn't easy. Most of us didn't grow up with a template for a successful marriage. We look at couples who seem to have it all and wonder, how did they get there? Or, we want to be married. Or, we have a marriage behind us that didn't succeed and are looking for hope for the future. This series is for everyone. Those who are married, want to be married, or were married as we take a look at God's intention for marriage. afternoon. How are you guys doing? All right, good, good. Uh, it's good to be back. I'm so glad to be here. I've heard so many good things about what my friend Alan did last week. Everybody telling me best marriage conference they've ever been to. Great speaker. And I'm thinking, do y'all want me back or not? I mean, just so you know, he's got his own church. So get over it. You got me. But hey, I had a great time in Africa. I think I preached about 12 times in five days, and these people are amazing. So here's, here's a, first of all, they worship for at least two hours before they would even let me take the stage. And then they would let me preach for an hour, and if I stopped, they were upset with me. So just so y'all know, you're going to be making some changes around here. <laughs> just kidding. Oh, that was true, actually, but no, we're not going to do that. So uh, there you go. Hey, we're on part two of a series uh, about marriage called Marriage, where we've simply been working on this idea. We want the world to look at our marriages and say, I want that, right? We want people to look at what we have so that they can uh, hear why we have it, what God has done in our lives. And, And you guys already know this. Those kind of marriages, they do not come easily. And they are not an accident, right? Everybody with me on that one? Married people? Come on. So here's a question for you. Are you ready to work for it? All right. Three of you. (laughs) Rest of you must have missed that part on it's not easy and accidental. So y'all just go to lunch with your miserable marriages. All right, there you go. All right, just kidding. Uh, Here's the question that we really need to answer for today uh, is this. Is there a difference between what I may want for marriage and what God may want for marriage? Is there a difference between what God may want for marriage and what I want for marriage? Because you realize expectation is everything. Whatever you expect to get from your marriage is going to determine a lot, right? So imagine that a husband comes home and he tells his wife, hey, honey, how about we go away for a couple of days? And she's so excited. Oh, my gosh. This is great. No kids, just you and me packing her bag, all excited for a getaway. I can't believe he took time away just for me. We're just going away. He's so busy with work and everything. And so on the way to the airport, she turns and says, honey, so, you know, what inspired you? And he says, well, actually, I've just got a business trip. I thought you'd like to come along. Expectation is everything, right? Okay, so when I was a teenager and I was young, I developed an expectation that I think most every one of us does, and that is that marriage is going to be a perfectly happy fairy tale, right? Okay, come on. Young people, not yet married, raise your hand. Single, young people, teenagers especially. There you go. You got this idea. Marriage is going to be this happy fairy tale. And it's not your fault that you think that because the world tells us that. We watch romantic comedy movies, and the couples in these movies, they only fight one time. There is one fight. It's about three quarters of the way through the movie. It's the greatest tension point. You think you've wasted your time watching the movie up until this point because everybody's cheering for him to get together. Now these horrible circumstances are there. Like he was supposed to meet her before the train left, but he missed his taxi. The train takes off and we're thinking, no, it's misery now. Of course, you know, somehow it all works right? Then there's this magical kiss in Central Park and everything is happily ever after for the next 60 years because the movie ends. We don't see anything else. And that's what we think marriage is all about, right? 
And so we think it all really comes down to what we see in the movies. Compatibility. They put these two people together. That They've got all these great interests and, and all of these things they like to do together. And, and then there's this magical attraction because has anybody ever seen an ugly person make a romantic comedy movie, right? So, of course, they're already attracted, so they got compatibility, they've got attraction, they're perfectly happy, and this is what we expect. And, and so you get the idea that a great marriage simply comes from choosing well, if we choose the right person. That's what I used to think anyway. So I would grow up hanging around, you know, these men or whatever, and like, like my dad would take me to the barbershop on Saturday. Anybody, barbershop? Y'all know where I'm coming from here? And, and so you'd go in the barbershop, I've never figured it out. There are three chairs, and there are like 17 men hanging out. Don't you have a life? I have a life and a wife, and that's why I'm here hanging out. They were miserable, and you could come in and say, oh, you go first. I've got all day. I don't, I'm not in a hurry to get back home to my wife. And, and I just would think, what is wrong with these people? They must have chosen poorly. Like, that's got to be the whole problem. So then, of course, I meet my wife, and we think, man, we've got, we've got compatibility because we enjoy talking about some of the same stuff, or at least I thought so. Actually, it turns out she was my translator. We could have been saying completely different things, two different languages, who knows. But she laughed at the right times, and she smiled at the right times, and we thought we were compatible, and, and we had enough interest that we got along to take some dates and to want to go on other dates, and, and we were obviously attracted to each other. We loved each other, and, and the most important thing is we both served on the same missions team. And so we thought, well, man, we've given up life and career and the aspect of big houses and big paychecks so that we can both serve on this ministry team together. We must have everything you'd need. We love each other. We love Jesus. We have enough. And then we got married. And those of you who have heard our story, it was nothing like that. It was not happy. You know, it was miserable. And we both ended up at some point thinking, how did this go so wrong? I thought I chose well. Must have not chosen well scary thought if you find yourself there so what though what would happen if marriage is actually not about making the right choice but actually something else completely different is what's going on god is doing something completely different in your life so you know just for the fun of it let's talk about your dream spouse you got enough single people in the room married people just play along <laughs> who who is your perfect match what would your perfect match look like I, I could imagine some of them, we've got a guy who loves football, and, and so he's thinking, man, my perfect match, my dream spouse would be a girl who loves football. It's going to be amazing. We're going to wake up on Saturday. We're going to put on our matching team sweats. We're going to get out the nacho dip, and we're going to be on the couch for the next 12 hours. It's going to be awesome. Right? Come on. Any, any guys? I see some heads nodding. There you go. All right. And then, and then there are some people who would say, man, my, my perfect match, my dream spouse would be someone who would love to go to the gym with me because, you know, we want to be healthy, take care of ourselves, and, and, you know, we would just, we'd go to the gym and work out. We'd encourage one another. Come on, one more rep, one more rep. You can do this, honey. You got this thing, you know. And, and when we get older and have kids, we'll load the kids into the minivan. We'll drop them off at the gym, daycare kind of thing, and we'll be in there on matching treadmills side by side like chariots of fire. <laughs> hey, baby. You know, I mean, we got this thing, Right. Maybe, maybe your, your perfect dream spouse for you is, is it's a, it's, it's the girl, and the girl's like, my dream spouse is a man who loves to shop. Woo! And you know you're going to need Jesus for that one, because, I mean, those men don't come naturally, right? And, of course, if he's going to love to shop, you're going to need him to have a good job. You need a guy with a lot of money who loves to shop. 
It's kind of like one of those bachelor dating shows, you know, where you got like one guy and 42,000 girls, and they're all trying to say, oh, you like that? I like that too. You like, I like that too. Oh, you like to eat that? I like to eat that too. I mean, they're just all trying to be like compatible and, and trying to figure out who's the most attractive and all this kind of stuff. We think we're picking our dream spouse and our perfect match on like interest and, and, and compatibility and attraction. But what if, just what if, play along. What if that's not what we're doing at all? What if actually this dream spouse is someone who will help us hide all of our issues? What, what if it goes down like this? So your dream spouse is the person who will watch football with you all day, but it actually is only because then you won't have anyone to tell you how lazy you actually are. What if you want her to watch football with you all day long because you don't want someone to remind you that you're selfish because the kids are in the backyard begging for daddy to come out and play. Well, what if the reason you want someone to go to the gym with you and work out with you is because you don't want anyone to reveal the lust and temptation in your heart and you think that as long as your spouse looks better than everybody else, you're safe? Or what if you want this, this spouse who will always take you shopping and has lots of money because you don't really want to confront the materialism in your heart? What if what we want has nothing to do with what God actually wants? Sometimes it's quite possible God is just after something completely different. So back to the question, is there a difference between what we want for marriage and what God wants? I believe the answer is yes. Because inherently as humans and doubly inherently as Westerners, we just want to be happy. We just want to be happy. It's a fairy tale. But what if God is actually putting us with someone who will make us holy? He's putting us with someone who will make us more like him. Just so you know, the entire message today is inspired by the cover of this book. Not the book, the cover of the book. Uh, and there's a sentence on here that simply says, What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy. Uh, we've got a life group on this, a marriage group. For those of you still looking for a, a small group, you can get in this one. It's called Sacred Marriage. We did have these in the bookstore. Pretty sure they're all sold by now, but you've still got Amazon on your phone and it's got everything. So there you go. Right now, look, that sounds good, right? It sounds good. What if God meant marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Here's the real question. Is that true? Is it biblical? Is it what God's doing? So let me just show you two things. The first one was going to be so quick, you don't have time to turn there. For those of you who have your Bibles, you can go and turn to the second one. The second one will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The first one says this in Proverbs 27, 17. It says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. It turns out God uses the people in our lives to shape us and to make us more like what he intends for us to be. And then he uses this in marriage with intensity so check this out here's what paul said about marriage and we should all greatly heed the words of a single man writing about marriage shouldn't we just kidding but hey he did write a lot of the new testament and he was inspired by the holy spirit so he's single but he's got some wisdom here here's what he says he says i think that in view of the present time i'm sorry the present distress it is good for a person to remain as he is are you bound to a wife well do not seek to be free are you free from a wife well then do not seek a wife but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned yet. Those who marry have 
worldly troubles. Those who marry have worldly troubles. Now, I've preached on this passage before. There's a lot that Paul means here. There's a lot to be said. I don't have time for all of this. So for today, we're only going to talk about one of the worldly troubles that Paul says we're going to have. One of the worldly troubles that Paul says we're going to have. And here's what happens. If you take two people and you put them together in a deeply intimate, 24-7, lifelong relationship, as fallen sinners, that's going to be worldly trouble. Did you catch all that? Now listen to that again. If you take two people and put them together in a deeply intimate, 24-7, lifelong relationship between two sinners, you're going to have a problem. Because just the same way that God takes iron to sharpen iron, meaning that one man will sharpen another, God intends for the husband to be an influence in bringing the wife to a certain place. And it means for the wife to be an influence in bringing the husband to a certain place. But then we get married, and here's what happens. When iron hits iron, sparks fly. And so we start blaming when we hit each other, when we hopefully are not really hitting each other, but we start blaming when we bump into each other and when God is using this to sharpen us and make us more like him because what, what is the ultimate sharpening God could do is to make us holy, to make us like God himself. That's what he's after. And so what we do is we encounter difficulties in our marriage and in our relationships and what we want to do automatically is run. Just run, get as far from these difficulties as you can. So we do things like last weekend, we do a marriage conference, and everybody shows up saying, give me all of the tips that you can, all of the marriage principles that you can to make marriage easy. I want this to go well. I want to avoid the difficulties. And look, there's wisdom to that, and you really should seek those things. But, but God's up in heaven going, no, no, it's the difficulties. It is through the difficulties that I'm going to work in your life to make, me, make you more like me. What if God is working through the difficulties? He never meant for it to be easy at all. It was never his intent, like, hey, let me put two married people together. It would just be a piece of cake. He's working through the difficulties. Let me make sure you're getting the point. Everybody say this with me. Three words. Through the difficulties. Here we go. Through the difficulties. This is what God is doing in your life. Very intentionally trying to shape you and make you more like him. Right? What if God intended marriage? to make you holy more than to make you happy. Now, at this point, I need to go ahead and do a disclaimer because I practiced this message last weekend in Africa. They asked me to do a marriage conference as well. So I wrote it for you before I left. I practiced it on them. And I noticed this far into the message, they looked really depressed. Like they were not happy I was there talking to them about this. And I realized, that light bulb, Holy Spirit says, oh, here's what you forgot. Here's what you need to know. You can also be happy. You can it sounds like I'm basically saying, well, you're a Christian, you know, just be holy, suck it up. You're going to have a horrible, miserable marriage until you get to heaven. Too bad for you. No, that's not the point. You don't have to be miserable. See, happiness can come, but happiness will follow holiness. The more that we each are becoming like Jesus, then the more happy we will be together. You can be happy, but happiness has to come second. That is the way that that works. So the real question, because you've heard me probably throw out this thought before, I say it a lot, it's kind of my life message about marriage, is that God is after something deeper than our happiness. So you've, you've probably heard that if you've been around me for a season. So, but, but as I was doing this message, I felt like God said, you need to take a little further. And, and you need to talk about what am I after? 
And I think that is the great question for us. What is God after in you? What, here's maybe another way to word it. Why does your marriage stink? You think it's your spouse? It's not your spouse, right? What is God after in us? And I, I felt as I was preparing this message, God gave me three words, and pretty much everything that we deal with, everything that is not like God, everything that God wants to shape is going to fit into one of these three categories. Now, obviously, the first one you can all guess together. What would be something that is in humanity that's not in God that God would want to work on, and that would be sin, Yeah, that's the easy one. It's the obvious one. God would want us to not sin. Because the truth is we're all sinners, and we know we're all sinners, right? But we don't really know we're all sinners. I mean, like we know it here, but we don't know how much we're a sinner until we get married. Matter of fact, anybody ever heard this before? You want to know how selfish you are? Get married, right? You want to know how easy it is to forgive if you're a good forgiver? Get married, right? How about this one? If you want to know if you're impatient, get married, set a dinner date, and wait. (laughs) There you go. And wait. You'll find out how impatient you are. You know, there's a lot of men all day long that have been scared to agree with that one. They're like frozen. Like, my wife's going to kill me if I agree. Like, yeah, she's always like. But it's more than just our sin nature. I mean, yeah, we've all got something inside of us. But what tends to happen is that over time will actually play out into our actions. And then we will actually commit sin against each other. And there are things that we could do that if we're single and living alone in an apartment, we could get away with doing them. We know we're sinning against God, but hey, we sin against God every day. We just kind of ignore him, maybe skip church for the weekend so we don't get too close to him. And we still do these things. It's no surprise that we sin against God. But when God puts us with another person who reveals to us the sin we've just committed against them and how obvious it is and the work that we're going to have to do to repair that, things like pornography or lying, or hitting someone, or hurtful words that we could say, or adultery, or or something like that. God is bringing us to a place in a relationship that says, I want to make you more like me. I want to expose this sin nature. I want to show you the actions that you're doing, and I want them to change. And, And you're not going to get away with this for long if you're going to stay married. And so God puts us in that situation where he can work on us. So that he can change our sin nature and so he can change the actions that flow out of our sin nature so that we will become more like God. The second one, wounds. Yes, we're all sinners, but we're also all broken souls. We've all had experiences. We've had things happen to us. And, you know, Jesus might be the only person who can claim to have a perfect father and, and, and was, you know, pretty good by the time he was 30. The rest of us, unfortunately, things have not always gone the way we wanted them to go. People didn't always say what we wanted them to say. Uh, We had pressures put on us that weren't good. We misinterpreted things that were said to us. We took offense to jokes and comments. And and by the time we get married, at least if you do it, you know, of legal age here in the United States, right? Okay. You're going to have decades under your belt of opportunities to be wounded. And so just a few examples of the way this could work out is, is, is a little girl who needs to be affirmed by her father more than anything. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. You see, we have a father in heaven who loves us and intends for us to know that he is good with us as we are, right? That's why God said over, over Jesus, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased before he had ever done anything. 
And, and so there's something innate in us, inherent in us, that says we need the affirmation of a father. And so God gives us fathers on earth that are supposed to model that kind of unconditional love for us. But as great as your dad may have been, he's still a human and he couldn't have been perfect. And so there's a little girl who just needs her dad to affirm her. And, and maybe she had a good dad. Maybe she had a mediocre dad. Maybe she even had a bad father. And, and so she's going to go and look for a boyfriend and ultimately a husband who's going to affirm her. And despite the best efforts, no one can affirm you 24-7 because no matter how hard you try, eventually you're going to burn the chicken. Eventually he's not going to be able to say, this is the best meal I've ever had. Eventually, you're going to, to, to ruin uh, his favorite shirt in the laundry. Something is going to go wrong. Maybe if you're a man, you, you, you needed more than anything. Actually, the truth is, more than anything, you still need a father to tell you that you're affirmed. But maybe you were looking for it in a coach, and, and you needed someone to look at you and say, You are awesome. You are great. You are just wonderful. You needed to hear those words. And unfortunately, you found yourself sitting third string. And it wasn't until about the fourth game in the season when seven people were on crutches, the coach looks at you and says, hey, you, uh, what's your name again? And so you go looking for a girlfriend and ultimately a wife, someone who's going to look at you and go, you are the best. You're the greatest provider. You're the greatest husband. You're the greatest father. You're the greatest DIYer. You're the greatest fixer. You're the greatest renovator. You're the greatest car taker, care of, whatever. You're, whatever it is your talent is, you needed someone to say you were the best at it. But unfortunately, no one can be perfect 24-7. And someday you're going to plan this great cookout with all your friends and forget to fill the gas tank for the grill. And she's going to say, what in the world is wrong with you? At some point, she's not going to affirm you. And our wounds are going to begin to show. Every single one of us will have a reaction to what has happened to us. And we don't realize it. Things that are spoken, suddenly it becomes someone else in the room. I didn't know it when my wife was growing up, but she had a father that was really not the best model of fathers. And, and so unfortunately she was kind of wounded. And, and, and I'm a pretty picky eater and she cooked from the other side of the world, different kinds of thinking. And, and, and so I, I stepped in and began to speak to her just like her father. I had no clue what I was doing. And so she began to react as though I was her father continuing the abuse that had happened for so many decades. And I was wounded and, and she had begun to do things that made me remember people that had hurt me. And without exception... Without exception, I have yet to have a couple come into my office and ask for help where there was not a sin issue. And almost without exception, I honestly would say without exception, I can't think of an example, where the other spouse thought that was the only issue. They come in, they sit down, and they say, this is what my spouse did. This hurt me. This betrayed me. I cannot believe this has happened. I never thought this would happen in my marriage. This is what my spouse did. And they are honestly convinced that if their spouse had not done this, their marriage is great. Their marriage was great. Everything is perfect. And they are on the path to success. But it's never true. And I'm always the one that has to be the bearer of bad news to say, wait a minute, there's something more going on. Yes, this one sinned. But you're hurt. 
And there's something God wants to do. Matter of fact, God wants to heal your wound. That's why he gave you a sinner, someone who would bring about the feelings of betrayal and the feelings of hurt and, the, and whatever's happened here so that you could tell that God wants to do something. And this is what God is, because here's the thing. God does not look at, down from heaven and see his children and say, hey, look, you're broken, you're messed up, but if you can just keep a lid on it till you get to heaven, that's okay. No, he says, you are my child, you are my son, you are my daughter. What I want for you is to be whole. I want you to be like me. I am whole. You see, when God is holy, it's not just that he's not a sinner, but he's, he's whole. He's not broken. He's not damaged from the effects of the world. And God says, I want that for my children. And, and so if, if you're dealing with sin, God's going to put you with someone who says, stop it. And if you're wounded, God's going to put you with someone that exposes your hurts and constantly brings up the pain. And, and what we do is we look at the other one and point fingers and say, I wouldn't feel this way if it weren't for you. Yeah, well, I wouldn't feel this way if it weren't for you. And back and forth and back and forth. And the reality is God is using each other to bring out something that's in us. God wants to make us whole. The third category is just immaturity. Immaturity. I mean, I have to tell you the truth here. This one's fairly straightforward and simple, and I can't begin to give you an entire list of all of the ways that humans are immature. Well, I'm not smart enough to do that, don't have enough time for that. Many of you can probably add to the list, but I'm just going to name a couple of them that are kind of obvious to, to help you understand. Sometimes we just get married and we're immature. You know, one of the things you need to do is take the Xbox to Goodwill on the way to find a job. When you get married, she is not your video game sugar mama. It is time for you to get a paycheck. Okay, this is the way this thing works. One of the things that we struggle with in immaturity is, is self-awareness. We have no idea who we are. We think we do. We think we know we're a sinner. We think we know how we're wounded. We have no clue until you get married and someone holds up a mirror and you go, oh my gosh. Except the truth is you don't do that. All right, so everybody, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to tell you how to pass the self-awareness test that you have repeatedly failed. So here's the way it works. One spouse, you've all done this, you've all, I promise. One spouse comes to you and says, do you know that you always do such and such or you never do such and such? And you know what the other spouse says? I do not. Yes, I do. Whatever the story is. You're wrong. You're wrong. Look, there is so much wrong with you, they don't have time to lie about one of them. <laughs> if they're coming to you and saying you always do this, it's because you do. Stop saying, no, I don't. Every time you say, I do not, yes, I do, I do not, you are failing the self-awareness test. God has put you with someone that says, are you aware you do this? You need to say, do I really? Everybody repeat that with me. Do I really? There you go. Good. That's how you're going to pass the self-awareness test from now on. How about this one? Irresponsible. Irresponsible. If you are a man or a woman, you have responsibilities. You make sacrifices. Men and women have families. Boys have toys. Do we need to go any further on this one? Grow up. Be responsible. How about this one? Selfish. Oh my gosh, we have no idea how selfish we are until we get married. How about lazy? We have no idea how lazy we are until we get married. I thought we just had a fun one in here. I, number five is called, just do stupid stuff. You're immature when you just do stupid stuff. 
You see, when you're single, you can just do stupid stuff. Like you needed gas. You pull over at the gas station on your way home from work, and you buy gas. You go inside to pay, and you're like, oh, lottery tickets. That'll be fun. Oh, I, I didn't really need dinner. I'm kind of full. You take out your dinner money, and you buy lottery tickets. Okay, you can do stupid stuff when you're single. But when you're married and you walk in the door and your wife says, hey, did you pick up the groceries on the way home? Well, no, honey, but I got something better. I traded our grocery money for lottery tickets. No, you're married. You got to stop just doing stupid stuff. I mean, it's just real obvious. Let me tell you what I've learned in all my years of working with couples and trying to help marriages. The one thing I've discovered is that it is just complicated. It's complicated. You know, what God is doing in one spouse is he's revealing sin. And what God is doing in another spouse is he's saying, just grow up. And what God is doing in another spouse is revealing decades of deep hurts in your soul. And the problem is we tend to not understand what is going on in the other person. We can't even see what's going on. Maybe we're blinded. All we see is sin. Do you lie to me? You don't lie to me. We're good. You have a porn habit? You don't have a porn habit? We're good. Sometimes we, we just make things so simple and, and we don't understand what God is doing in the other person. And so all we're left with is to say, I just, you're the problem. You're the problem. I'm good. You're the problem. And we try to run away. Except through the difficulties. It's through the difficulties. I mean, what are you going to do? Just run away and choose better next time? How does that work? That doesn't work any better. No. It's through the difficulties that God is making us more like Him. See, for my wife and I, we were wounded. We were both deeply wounded. And we were so wounded we had no idea because, see, when we got married, we were both pretty mature. She had grown up as the oldest in a family with uh, somewhat absentee parents, so she had already raised uh, three other children. They were younger siblings in that sense. And, and she was a pretty mature person for her age. And I felt like I was someone who had understood basic maturity issues. And, and I think she would have agreed. I was, I was a pretty mature person. And so we weren't really fighting over immaturities. I didn't have an Xbox. Ever. I didn't have to give up video games. I never played them. And because we were serving on a missions team together, we were both, had dealt with a lot of sin stuff. I mean, you know, it's, it's just kind of where we were in life. You know, in order to serve God and work on a church planning team and to preach and lead worship all around the world and doing the stuff we were doing, we had kind of already come to grips with certain sin nature and had repented of things and changed things. And so, you know, we get together thinking, well, you know, we're, we're, we're both pretty mature in life and we're pretty mature in our spiritual walk and, and we're not committing a lot of sins and we don't have these these types of issues and and we get along we love each other we're serving god i mean this is going to be great and then we started to respond to each other out of all the hurts and all the wounds and all the things that had gone wrong and honestly we almost lost it i mean if you've ever heard our story we really it's a miracle that we're here it's god god just does great things and but it was over a decade in, into our misery, over a decade of just saying, if she would stop acting like that, I wouldn't feel this way. Isn't that funny? When we're hurt, we blame the other person for touching our hurts, right? That's what we do. 
And she was blaming me, I was blaming her. And over a decade of that, we really, we crashed. We reached rock bottom and we were done. We wouldn't be here in ministry today. We wouldn't be married. Except someone sent us to a week of working on some things. And we came back from that. We were completely different people. And everybody who knew us said, oh my gosh, who are you? We don't even recognize you. That must have been the most amazing amazing marriage counseling. No. No, it wasn't even marriage counseling. Matter of fact, we almost didn't see each other. Because when she was doing something, she was in one room. When I was doing something, I was in another room. What we did is we took a week where we each worked on ourselves. Where we each sat down with a, a ministry facilitator who could say, here's what I see in your life. And so we each looked into a mirror with the help of the Holy Spirit for a week and made ourselves more whole. And we got to a place, couldn't do it all in the week, but we got to a pretty good start to where God could begin to take two holes and make one. Because you can never take two shattered piles and do that. Now, I would love to stand here today and tell you that, of course, as your pastor and your pastor's wife, that we never fight, we never have issues, we're great, we're one of the best. No, we still have issues and we still have bumps in the road and you know why that is? It's because we're, we're not yet perfect. But to this day, when things show up, it's because of wounds. It's because of things that are being touched that are not yet healed. Things that are still there. And we will respond to the other and speak to the other out of those hurts. How about you? Is it a sin issue that God's highlighting? Is it a wound that God wants to heal? Is it an immaturity that God wants you to grow up from? What if marriage is meant to make you holy so that it can make you happy? If that's the case, then every single one of us needs to respond, don't we? Don't we need to do everything we can in our power to become holy so that we can both be happy? And the answer for that is to stop blaming your marriage, stop blaming your circumstances, stop blaming the person who reminds you that you shouldn't be sinning like that. Stop blaming the person who touches your wound. It's your wound, not theirs. And sit down with God and say, God, what are you after in me? What are you after in me? What have you been doing all these years? I've been blaming my spouse. What are you after in me? Can I go one step further? Can I dare you? I'm going to dare you to do something. Who's up for a dare? All right, good. Five of you. Good. We're good with it. I dare you to go on a date night with your spouse this week. For those of you that need this to be a public place, go to Starbucks and get coffee because some of you need that. Uh, Others of you, you can do this at home after you put the kids to bed. Those of you that are not yet married, Go to the person you trust the most and who knows you the best and ask the exact same question. Ask this. What is in me that God is after? What do you see that God is after in me? Now, I get it. There are some really messed up marriages and your spouse is the last person you feel like you can be vulnerable to. But someday, you've got to break down these walls and you've got to invite them in and you've got to risk it again. So I dare you to try it this week. 
you're not married, ask the closest person who knows you and get ready for marriage. And if you are married, sit down with your spouse and say, what is God after in me? What do you see? And trust what they say. What if marriage is meant to make you holy before it can make you happy? I want to close by talking to those of you who have never quite made Jesus your king. Maybe you thought you were going to heaven and you were happy with that. You, you thought that was the whole point. You know, yay, Jesus died for me. I get to go to heaven. This is wonderful. But the real question is, what comes between now and heaven? You see, eternal life is awesome. But God wants to be more than just your savior. He also wants to be your king. He wants this exchange to happen where you recognize, Jesus, you've died for me. Now I want to live for you. So that every day on life, every day on earth, your life is different. It's a testimony for him. So that your marriage is a testimony for him. Your career is a testimony for him. Everything you do will show people that Jesus is your king. If you've never had that exchange, I want to help you do that this morning. The good news is I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to come down front. You don't have to do anything weird. We're all going to pray right where we're seated. If you just all pray with me something like this to yourself and to God. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I want to live for you. I thank you that you are using every circumstance and every person in my life, my current spouse or my future spouse, in order to make me more like you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your sacrifice. In my simple prayer today is that you will give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.